Good morning, Woodland Hills. Good to see you guys. Good to be here together. Good to have all you guys online joining us. Um, Emily, did you put that together? I did. And she, she is so creative. That, that those, the, and the, the bumper from last week with Martin Luther King, uh, she and uh, who else worked with you on that? Yeah, it was a team effort. John? Yeah, but you did. Yeah, so she's a very creative person, so good to have you. So this is Emily, uh, and th- this is Cedric, and I'm Greg, and visiting us on... <laughs> That's too good. Uh, you guys, knock it off. <laughs> Only mine's authentic. You guys are knockoffs. <laughs> Whose idea was that? That's crazy. All right. I, I, I guess you could have held those on the whole time. Uh, it's a little distraction. A little bit of a distraction. Just a little bit. <laughs> Emily said, right, this is uh, Dan visiting us from Florida, right? I don't like hybrid. <laughs> and I'm Greg. And apparently we are the red glasses clue. Mary, where you went on this? Yeah, this is this is absurd. All right. All right. Very good. <laughs> I wore black glasses last night, and Mary's like, no, no, what? That's why. I wondered why you're like, make sure you're being your red glasses. They look a lot better on you. You liar. <laughs> hey, we're, we're, so we're wrapping this thing up here. Uh, we actually, did we start this right at the time of COVID? It was right around the same time as COVID. It gives so. you an idea. So I think we started just before COVID. Um, we've been at this thing for quite a while, Sermon on the Mount. Wow. And Danny's beard has gotten longer. It's, it's, <laughs> it's been amazing. So what we thought the best way to wrap this up would be kind of like, you know, when, when uh, the president or somebody important gives a speech, and then afterwards the pundits sort of like kick it around. And, and uh, if they're on the side of the person who gave the speech, they, they, they have compliments and stuff. If they're not, well, then they criticize it. But we're, 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 we're going to be the pundits. And Jesus just gave his Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to kind of just uh, kick it around a little bit. But just so you know, we are on the side of Jesus, so it's going to be mainly positive. We're not going to criticize him too much. Um, I thought it might be good just to start with, uh, uh, where, what are some of the highlights or the moments that stand out uh, the, the, the most as you think about? Not, not necessarily the most profound things, but... Things that kind of stood out, like that, that we just saw the thing with Shauna, and when, when Shauna and I were uh, kind of bantering back and forth, that was a particularly unruly panel discussion we had. I remember it was just kind of all over the place, uh, and a lot of bantering. And afterwards, a lady came up and said, "I just love the way that you guys are so you know friendly with each other. You banter with one another. You have you know a lot of fun together. I've never been in a church where you, know, you had such collegiality." Right after her, there's this lady who was almost in tears. God bless her, and she's like. How come everyone's so mean to you? <laughs> and I went, I know, I know, they are. And here's another case in point. And I explained to her that it's all kind of friendly and stuff. But yeah, there's some standout moments. But my, my, my number one is uh, when, when Tara Beth murdered a hornet here on stage. Remember that? She, there's this hornet going around, and she finally, it got into her hair, and she just whacked that thing. Uh, pacifism went out the window. She committed insecticide. <laughs> How about you guys? Oh, well, what are some of your... Favorite moments that stand out? I'll go uh, for me and Dan. You've had some great messages. You've really had some great messages. Uh oh. One that stands out is uh, I think the title was called The Absurdity of Judgment. And you talked about a locker room scene and your puberty. Uh-huh. I don't know if you. <laughs> and I remember the quotes you said. <laughs> you saying, and I was the only tree without any bark. In the forest. 
And I said, that was the first time I have ever heard that in a sermon, like ever. (laughs) So I will say that that definitely stood out for me. You had great, like, spiritual content, but that was really funny. (laughs) Mr. Nobark. (laughs) Going back to that... uh, that uh, Shauna and Greg were, Greg was demonstrating all the eco-friendly products. I felt like I was watching one of those TV shopping networks. (laughs) He gets out, he's like, I don't use Q-tips anymore. I have this rubber thing. And it kind of made me think like, call now and you get a set of snake knives. (laughs) It was kind of like that. It was. How about you, Dan? Got a highlight? Oh, man. Um, I think you guys kind of covered the big ones. Um, you know, when I when I share a humiliating story, though, I hope you remember the point of the message too, Cedric. That's <laughs> totally my, forgot it. That's my hope. <laughs> that's great. Okay, so um, what do you think was uh, as we went through this whole series? Is there anything that stood out to any of you as to what would it be like? You felt like it was the most important message for the church to hear. Something that was just vital for the church to hear. Yeah, I'll go. Um, I, I was thinking about, you know, is this what's most important to hear? Is this a certain passage, a certain set of verses? But really what I took away is the most important thing for us to hear goes back to the title of, I think, the first sermon you preached, which was The Expert. And you talked about how Jesus is the person who carries all the knowledge about how we're to live in the world. And so we're listening to this sermon And he's telling us, go and do it. And so my biggest takeaway was thinking, it's not a specific verse. It's the end where he says, go do this stuff. You Mm. didn't just sit here to listen to me. Go out and do it. And I think that should be our our biggest takeaway is obedience. There's this quote I love. I wrote it down because I think it's so powerful. It's from Kierkegaard, Soren Kierkegaard. And he says, the Bible is very easy to understand, but we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. Uh (laughs) Enough scheming, swindling. It's time to do. It's good. Uh, I can go. So for me, it uh, actually is building off of what Emily said. And there were themes of it throughout the sermon series. But Greg, it was a message that you did called, I think, called the wise builder, um, Matthew 7. Um, and, and in just it was a really about um, Jesus saying um, being characterized as a foolish builder or a wise builder, building your um, house on sand or on a rock. And he was saying, if you hear my word and then you do it, then you are considered a wise builder. But in that message, it really, the slot, it it just really helped me. It was, you're doing this not just to do it, you're doing this so that, and it was really about the character that we are supposed to be transformed into, which is in the image of God. And so, I feel like one of the most important things and takeaways from the Sermon on the Mount is the character that we should be developing. We're hearing all of these things. We're hearing the teachings of Jesus, um, not just because that's not the end and of itself. The end is so that we can be transformed into the image. Our nature, our disposition has changed, and now we are aligning ourselves with Jesus. And so I feel like that just really hit home for me. Great. Excellent. Yeah, that's good. 
Yeah, I uh, I think, um, first of all, just really quick, I really wish we would have done the glasses thing <laughs> when I was talking about cults a couple weeks ago. That would have been so that perfect. Been great. But, uh, the red glasses cults. <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. You know, I, for me, and I probably building on what both Emily and Cedric said, is I, I just keep coming back to the fact that, you know, Jesus' last wishes for his disciples was that he that they would teach other people how to obey everything that he had taught them and when you think of the things that jesus taught his disciples you have to go to the sermon on the mount as sort of his magnus opus as sort of the heart of of the message that he wants us to uh, obey and and it's interesting because as i've kind of worked through the sermon on the mount with everybody here i'm I'm a little slow <laughs> in that I didn't really get like the the biggest epiphany until really the last couple months and and that's simply that these teachings they're not just teachings they're not just life hacks they're not just life coaching tricks they they're they're profoundly relational they're profoundly transformational and and when Jesus kind of says look there are two ways to go uh, the way of life and the way of death and then he says that I am the way of life. Well, now what you realize is that this this way, this path, this set of teachings, it's primarily a relational phenomenon. It's it's transformation happens in the context of relationship, not in the study of books, not in uh, you know learning life hacks. It's in this loving uh, relationship, and so just kind of rethinking my own personal discipleship in terms of a romance with God really. And just, uh, uh, kind of learning mm-hmm. and growing from that context is, uh, is just has been really, um, a, a different way of looking at everything Great. for me. Yeah. And it's really kind of, uh, brought new excitement to my faith. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I, I, we're all on the same page on this. I, I, I was, uh, just struck by, and I hadn't really noticed this before, but how the whole Sermon on the Mount, it, it has a future orientation to it. It's all eschatological. It's looking to the future. And there's an, an emphasis on doing, on implementing these things, because that's what forms your character, and it's about preparing for that. And he talks about the coming storm, you know, and, and there's this. And so the whole, the whole thing about the Sermon on the Mount is it's there to make us into certain kinds of people who are now fit for this coming kingdom, you know, getting us ready for the coming kingdom. And... Uh, that strikes me as one of the things that is probably the, I guess that is why it's, this is the most important part for, for all of us, but this, I think, is, is one of the biggest lacunas or the b- biggest omissions of American uh, Christianity. Um, and I think it comes out of the Protestant Reformation where there's such an emphasis on grace, and grace is absolutely all important in everything, but they thought grace as sort of just, as just a forgiveness of sins and forgot that it's also the empowering mm-hmm. to live out of those sins. And, and I just got dropped. And so we have, you know, to a large degree, a Christianity that doesn't do much for character. Mm-hmm. It's all the more reasons why we have to be emphatic on it. Okay, um, this is kind of similar, but, but what teaching, passage, or what section did you all feel like was the most personally impactful for you? Made the biggest impact on you personally? Cedric, you want to take that? Yeah, so for me, and it's so interesting because um, the beginning of the year, I actually went back to Matthew 5 and... Most of you know about like the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, all of the blessed. And um, it was most impactful for me because as I was going through it in the sermon series and even now, um, 
it's really focusing on those things that you cannot see. Mm. So those things that are internal. So I could say the right things to you. Um, and so you think that we're having a great relationship, but inwardly my heart may not be there. And so what I feel like has been most um, impactful with the Beatitudes <laughs> specifically around blessed are the meek and that one, you know, which does not mean blessed are the weak, but right. it's still like blessed are the gentle. Like I'm still living into that. I'm still being transformed by that. Um, and so it's just been, it's been difficult. It's been hard, but it's been most impactful because it's almost like a mirror up yeah. to say like, Cedric, there's some work that you need to do. And so I've gone back through it again. Um, I'm still working my way through the Beatitudes, probably been most impactful. So Rachel, how's he doing on the Beatitude thing? <laughs> the wife would be the Let's one to talk. Let's talk out the church. Let's <laughs> <laughs> That's good. No, you know, I, I similarly was really impacted, challenged by, and convicted by it. When we went through that section where Jesus says, you know, don't feel so good about yourself just because you haven't committed adultery and go around judging those who have committed adultery. Because if you've ever looked at anyone to lust after them, you've committed adultery. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and don't be thinking of patting yourself on the back because you're not like those murderers who murder people. Uh, but if you have hatred in your heart or even are disrespectful, calling someone a fool, um, you're, you're committing murder. And, and uh, I think I used to think of that just as sort of like poetry, hyperbole or whatever. But I think he, he's really saying that you are committing murder. If, if, I'm, if I'm killing you in my mind, I'm killing you. It's just I'm not acting on it. But to God, whether you act on it or not, it's the same thing. You're doing it. And... Um, on the one hand, that was very convicting, I mean, and, and humbling. I think if you get honest with what goes on in your head, um, it can't help but humble you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and uh, it, that frees you from the tendency to, to judge others. Mm-hmm. Um, but also then, you know, it, it, the fact that he tells us to do this, uh, to monitor, to be d- disciples of our brains, he, he wouldn't tell us that if we didn't have the power to do it. Yes. Of course, we can't do it without the Holy Spirit's assistance, whatever, but that is the bar. And so I've just been, you know, trying to be much more intentional on being a detective of my brain. What's, what's going on in the head? Because whatever's going on in the head in here is what gets translated into our action out here. So this is really the, the, the important battlefield. And the value that you have towards others. I think that one of the most, for me, challenging things is making sure that I, I'm always thinking about, to your point, detecting what's in my head, making sure that I'm not devaluing Right. Someone else, either outwardly in what I say and how I act, or inwardly in what I think. That's good about them. One of the things that I, you know, I, I, I'm really big on nonviolence. I think it's a centerpiece of the of the, of the gospel. Um, but when you start really paying attention to the thoughts that are in your head, you can realize that you can be nonviolent in your action, but be very violent in your mind. Mm-hmm. And and I would define violence as anything that violates the worth of another. And since we know every other person has unsurpassable worth, we're engaging in violence whenever we think about them as having less than unsurpassable worth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that, 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 that's just like, whoa. Yeah. I got a lot of work to do. Ooh. Holy Spirit. Yeah. That, do your work. Ugh, that totally goes with what was most impactful for me. I feel like I don't even need to share my... I think, I think a story would be best to... My takeaway from the Sermon on the Mount that really hit me. And it was about that internal thing, the difference between, that there isn't a difference between murder and anger in your heart. And um, I've shared this before, but a year and a half ago, I was arrested um, dropping off some Gatorade at a protest site and really 
treated quite badly by the police. Um, had nerve damage in my wrist and was thrown on the ground, and it was a really painful experience. And um, I have been to protests against police violence, and I've been to protests against no-knock warrants and, and different things, but it was a very intense experience of, of pain. And I was very angry because I was unfairly treated, and um, it, was, it was a really tough time. And if you go to protests, there's all kinds of different chants that people use. And I, I never participated in, in any chants that were derogatory to police officers um, because they, are, they have unsurpassable worth. But <laughs> I was thinking those inside my head. <laughs> I was thinking them. You're violating their unsurpassable I was, worth. I was violating their... So on the outside, I was like, I'm not going to participate in that. I, my principles are that mm. this is not okay, but inside. So like, what was the difference? Um, after that experience with the police, I, I was really... Um, just had like, bitterness growing inside of me and fear, lots and lots of fear. And, uh, but Greg and others keep hammering this, love your enemies, love your enemies, unsurpassable Romans. Blah, 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 love blah. Your <laughs> and so after about 50 sermons of that, I, um, I was driving and I was, I was, I had been praying for the police officer who had arrested me. I had been I tried to use, when I passed a police car, a police car passed me, that as a signal, on, based on Greg's suggestion, to, to pray blessing over that person. But it was like doing it through gritted teeth. It was like, Lord bless that police officer, you know. <laughs> Nothing in my heart. And um, I was driving one day, and I, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Emily, we're gonna, we need to change your heart. This needs to be more than just something that you say with your mouth. And Honestly, I didn't think that was possible. I read the Sermon on the Mount, and I don't get that part about love your enemies. Like, what? Who does that? Like, was Jesus completely out of touch with reality? So I didn't believe that that could happen to me. I was just as a sheer act of gritting my teeth, obedience, trying to do these prayers. And the Holy Spirit was like, no, I'm going to change your heart. And this phrase came into my head as I'm driving, all cops are beloved. All cops are beloved. And I just started crying because I realized two things. One, I felt like I could see these police officers in my mind the way Jesus sees them, full of love and compassion and joy and having unsurpassable worth. And then I also realized that the Sermon on the Mount isn't unattainable. Mm -hmm. I'm not stuck as who I am forever, that the Holy Spirit can change us. Amen. And he changed my heart. And so the that's inner great. work. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm not, I'm not perfect on this, y'all. I'm still working on it, but all cops are beloved. Then we take that applause back. Boo! thought <laughs> <laughs> you derived. Well, thanks for sharing that. And, and it's beautiful. Yeah, God's always working on our hearts. Um, okay, this is a similar one, um, but what in the Sermon on the Mount... And maybe we've already covered it, uh, but try to think of something else on top of that. Uh, but uh, what was most challenging? Uh, what what uh, pushed you the hardest? Dan, why don't you take a stab at that? Hello, can you turn yourself up a little bit? You'd have to shout louder because you're down in Florida. 
you yeah, go. you know, I think uh, kind of what you were saying, Greg, is uh, the just living it out. I mean, and you were talking specifically about violence. You don't really know how violent you are until you try to start living nonviolently. And, um, you know, C.S. Lewis has this quote. I think it's in Mere Christianity where he says, you don't know the strength of the German army, the Nazis, if you give into it. You know the strength of the German army when you fight against it. Mm, and that's definitely good. the case. When you try to live out these things, uh, that's when you realize just how much violence you have in your heart. And and for me, you know, just like, it, it, just, it was just a no-brainer that if you see a spider, you're going to kill it. I mean, it wasn't... You don't sit and contemplate it. They're just pure evil, so you kill them. <laughs> and to, for me, to get to the point where I'm grabbing like a little paper cup and a postcard to get this little spider safely outside, it's like, who am I? That's not even, you know, I, I, I don't weird. recognize myself. When I, it's so weird. But that's, but I, and I would never have thought of that as violence, you know, to kill a spider. But uh, when you really take Jesus seriously, you just realize um, how deep violence goes in, in our hearts. And so I think, uh, that's probably the most challenging thing is, um, not, not hearing Jesus's teaching and, and not being shallow and superficial about it, but really trying to get at that transformational level. So you get to the point where you don't even recognize yourself, uh, because of how much God has done. And I think, uh, Emily, your story is a great example of that as well. You draw a line of mosquitoes, don't you? I mean, at, at some point you, you got to swap <laughs> mosquitoes. I mean, you, you get the pat because they're demonic. <laughs> right? They're demonic. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I do have a philosophy about that, uh, you know, but uh, I think in heaven, uh, mosquitoes are going to, instead of biting us, they're going to give us little B12 shots. That's what I think they're going to do. So. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Retool them. But, but it, it, doesn't it feel good? Like when you save a spider, is there something that feels good about that? I mean, I, like, You're right. We, we uh, all winter long, I have a little insect cage. And whenever we find insects, we put them in the cage, and I try to keep them alive as long as I can. You try to feed them stuff and whatever, but they're pretty stupid. They don't eat, you know, very good stuff. But, um, you know, but it feels good. I mean, just yesterday, yeah. we, have a, we had a little, one of those little stink bugs in our bathroom, and, and, and we let it just sit there for a couple of days. But finally, we take it up and put it in our little cage. And so we got the cage with all these bugs. I just and they want, thanked me. I just want to say, this is a journey. So <laughs> <laughs> you aren't there yet. Yeah, I am not there yet. So I will just let everybody know that we may all not be on the same level of, of here on, on this. So just to throw it. This out. is not an official doctrine of the Nils Church. Thou shall not kill any bugs. Um, you want to go or? Um, uh, two things for me are most challenging. One is <laughs> the Sermon on the Mount, literally, I said earlier, is like it's been a mirror and it's almost at times been overwhelming of all of the things that I actually need to change in my life. Um, it's like every Sunday, which was great and I learned a lot from it, but it was just one more thing that I am not doing that I need to do or I need to change in my behavior or change in my character. And so um, for me, um, I get it and I understand that um, this is a process with community and also the spirit of God, um, that this is a journey, but there have been moments within this two years or so 
where I have literally felt overwhelmed with the things that I need to change because um, I feel like the Bible shows you, if you really look at it close enough, we are so fallen mm. and that we are definitely in need of a savior and that you can't do it on your own. And so um, I've always had to kind of go back to kind of snapping out of feeling almost helpless and hopeless mm. with all of the things that I needed to change. Um, and then yeah. number two is going back to um, the whole violence conversation. Just adding on to that, I actually think it is extremely hard to do what you're saying. You, and even though it is a command, we should be doing it. That is the direction that Jesus has set for us in the course. Um, I actually think biologically it goes against self-preservation. Sure. So we, Jesus is saying, do this, but everything in us is saying that I need to preserve. I was treated wrongly. You know, you want to get rid of me. And so I need to protect myself. I need to defend myself. I need to do something. And so it is transforming the way I think yeah. about biologically who I am, right. um, which has been um, hard. But getting back to we can't do it alone, we have to do it with um, in partnership with uh, the Spirit of God. And then the last thing is, to be honest with you, what has been most challenging with me in the whole con um, conversation about being nonviolent and just the affirmation of it is sometimes I feel like in the conversations, it's not giving enough respect and um, just almost appreciation to what people have gone through that have been victimized. And so mm. you're talking about a lot of trauma. People have gone through things where they have literally been the victim. And then if you're not careful, what you can hear is we're saying, but it doesn't matter. Be nonviolent, you know, show love, do the right thing. And I've struggled with that, mm. specifically around um, when we were in the whole like George Floyd yeah. um, murder. Um, I, I specifically struggled with that. And I do think that it is a heart thing. Um, I don't think that Jesus is saying that we need to be doormats and that we forget and that we're not thinking about ourselves. But what he is saying is, it doesn't matter what someone else does to us. Our job is to ensure that our heart is yeah. right towards that other person. That's good. And that's where I, I think... Uh, to go to your sense of being overwhelmed. Um, I just think it's so important, the, the thing that Dan said about how all, all of this comes out of this relationship. It's about having a relationship with Christ that then transforms us in this direction. You know? And so we're, Sermon on the Mount is kind of the, what it looks like for us to be living out this relationship with Christ. Because without that relationship element, it can, it can feel like just a list of rules. Yes. Like, here's all the things you're going to do. If you want to go to heaven, here's all the things. And that is overwhelming. That's just, you know, it's like, but, but when it comes out of a relationship, there's that, this, uh, it has a different feel to it altogether. And then there's a balance, I think, that needs to happen where between, on the one hand, doing our best, you know, trying to strive every day to, to be as faithful a disciple as possible, at the same time, giving yourself some grace, uh, and, and room to be in process. We're all in process, yeah. and, and it doesn't happen just like this. What matters is not where you're at, but the direction you're going. Mm -hmm. And, and, and uh, yeah, so just keep on hitting that direction. And mm -hmm. it, 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 one of the things that really has impressed itself on me, especially in the last section of the Sermon on the Mount, where um, 
I have just really, and it goes back to my first point about the future orientation of this sermon. It's there to prepare us for this future coming reality, uh, the eternal kingdom on the new heaven and the new earth. And um, I, I've just found that, that having a vision of that, mm -hmm. spoke about this last, uh, was it last week or the week before, mm -hmm. having a vision of this, um, faith is this vision that creates in us this conviction that it will be so, and that motivates us to move in a certain direction. And if we don't have that vision pulling us along, then it is just like a bunch of rules. It's like, okay, you lose the rationale for it. But when you realize that Jesus, the expert, has given us this, this kind of uh, mandate, this Magna Carta here, to, out of love for us, uh, precisely because he knows that what we are capable of, he wants us to be our best, he wants us to then be compatible with the kingdom, he gives us his spirit to help us in that process, and now he's walking with us to transform us into that. And when you can see the beauty of that and the, the joy of that, the glory that awaits us, which we can't fully conceive because Paul tells us that the sufferings of this present age can't be compared to the glory that God is going to be revealed to us. So it's unimaginable. But by holding it in our minds concretely, vividly, doing it repeatedly, uh, I, I find that that's just is, is the, that, that, that's the fuel that uh, uh, motivates the transformation of the kingdom. Can I just say the last thing on that? You can. It is also what has been helpful in addition to what Greg said, is the sense of community, going along with it in community. Um, it is isolating when you're trying to do it yourself. You, there's, a, there's a higher likelihood to feel overwhelmed. For sure. But the ability to go about making these changes, doing it, of course, in partnership with the Spirit of God, but also with people that know you, that are rooting for you, and that are going to provide you with support, even when it gets hard, good. I think it is um, also key as well. Well, just knowing, you know, if, if you're going about the day and you're blessing people, you know, as you're driving and you're just saying, Lord, thank you for that person. And we talk about that, just being a blessing machine. And um, you're going throughout the day and you're, you're being a detective of your own mind and, and, and trying to purge, you know, whatever things are not true, whatever things are not you know, pure, whatever things are not good. Don't think on those things. Uh, think on what is, you know, Philippians 4.8, think on what is true and noble. If you're doing that, you're doing something that very few people on the planet are doing. You know, it, it, you feel like a weirdo. And you should feel like a weirdo. We're supposed to be weirdos. <laughs> in, in certain respects, anyway. Some of us are weird in not necessarily Christian ways. But, but uh, if you're living out the kingdom of life, you're going to be doing things throughout the day that most people don't do. And it's just, it's, 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 it feels less alone to know that there's other people doing it. That I'm part of a tribe of people who do this. They pray for their enemies every day. You know, that's weird. Most people don't do that. But, but this is a good way to be weird, and it feels good to be with other people who are weird in the same ways. Yeah. So let's all be weird together. Hallelujah. All right. Glory. Can we make that our new tagline? Yeah. Learning weird. to be weird together. <laughs> <laughs> Learning how to be weird together. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Um, hey. Yes. Hey, ahead. can I just add one thing also? We will let you. Uh, the you know Phoenix just said this on the YouTube chat and and it and it raises a good point. Like I'm still trying to figure out how what this means to be nonviolent and and I use spiders as an example because it's it just shows how something that I don't even think of as violence there's violence in my heart toward it. Um, now that's very different than having like a a bed bug infestation or having uh, you know a virus that is killing people and and I don't know exactly how all that relates to, um, you know, to Jesus's call to be nonviolent. But what I do know is that I can, 
I can reflect and, and I have a reason, I have a motivation to reflect on what's going on in my heart uh, because of Jesus's call to be nonviolent. Mm-hmm. And and like you said, Greg, it's 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 really is a matter of, you know, what, what's going on inside of here? Right. Uh, you know, might there be an occasion where, you know, Jesus, maybe Jesus slapped a mosquito. I don't know. Uh, you know, but, uh, but what I do know is that <laughs> I have a lot of violence in my heart and there, and it comes out in yeah. a lot of places that I wouldn't notice had I not listened to my one teacher, to this expert on what it means to be human. And, um, and so, yeah. I, I, and to Cedric's point too, uh, I don't know if I'm, I'm certainly not there yet. And if I kill, you know, or if I save a, a, a spider, um, I might kill 10 more. Uh, and when I save that spider, I feel like uh, a St. Francis, you know, I feel like I should be levitating with a halo right now, you know, so I get pretty grandiose with it, but, but it's a process, you know, and well, so, I yeah. mean, more important than trying to figure out the details of, you know, do you kill bud bugs or do you, you know, centipedes or is paying attention to just what's the general orientation of your heart. And, and I, I think if, 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 if that's in the right place, you begin to see clarity on things, you know, it just, it, it becomes become natural to you, uh, to, yep. we're spending a lot of time talking about bugs on this wrap up. <laughs> amount. It's starting to bug me. <laughs> no, no, actually, I, I think those little things are, are, are very important. So what was, um, let's end with this question. What was the most surprising, uh, aspect of the Sermon on the Mount as we went through it? Um, yeah. And Dan, since you have already hogged the floor, why don't you continue on? And <laughs> yeah, don't mention uh, insects. I was so surprised at how, how much God loves insects. <laughs> don't go there. <laughs> no, no more bugs. You know, for me, definitely the most surprising thing about the Sermon on the Mount is just how uh, community-centered it is. I mean, it, it, I... I think of spiritual discipleship as like, I think I have pictures of monks in my head, you know, at some temple in the middle of nowhere and, you know, getting closer to God. And, but man, you know, Jesus' teaching is all about your community. And, and there's so many of his teachings that are about reconciling with others and don't objectify one another. Don't, uh, don't, you know, let your anger toward others go out of control and uh, strive to be loyal and be true to your word toward each other and, and pursue uh, reconciliation with each other. And even like the Lord's prayer, uh, Jesus talks about, you know, our father in heaven. That's how I'm supposed to pray. When I pray to God, it's not just about my prayer to God, but it's about us together praying to God for these Mm. things. And, and so there's just this profound community dimension to the whole thing. And, and that's really surprising to me because, um, probably because I, I'm, I'm just so kind of fundamentally individualistic and, and I do tend to think of my spiritual growth as my spiritual growth. And, uh, as I've kind of reflected on the Sermon on the Mount, I'm kind of seeing that maybe, maybe it doesn't work that way. Maybe you, you have to have that community around you in order for the transformation to really take place. And, and isn't it just, it's so cool that we've kind of done the Sermon on the Mount series. And for me, at least kind of seeing the community dimension to everything that Jesus was about while we also have been kind of taking our new tagline out for a spin, which is Mm -hmm. learning to love together. And uh, it's, it's just amazing to me that, all of that came together during the Sermon on the Mount series. And um, so I think that's, that's probably what I would say is my most surprising thing. Excellent. Have any opinions, guys? 
Yeah, I, I think something that was really surprising for me was how something so familiar could take on new depth and new meaning. And I'm specifically thinking about the, the Lord's Prayer mm. because that's probably a passage of Scripture that many of us who've grown up in the church, even people who don't grow up in the church, know of it or parts of it. And it can become this... Um, something that you almost, like, you, you know when sometimes you read a book and you get to the bottom of the page and you're like, what did I read? I don't remember any of this. And it, it kind of is like that with the prayer. It can kind of be like, our Father in heaven, and then you get to the end of it and you, you don't even realize you've said it. And so to, to go into it I, and realize, like, oh, something so familiar has all this depth to it and meaning, and I can learn new things. Wow. And yeah. yet go away from it and still realize I don't completely get it. Mm. It's like, it, it's kind of paradoxical. Um, but one thing that was surprising, so like speaking on learning new things about something so familiar, when Cedric taught on, uh, on prayer, he talked about being able to use sign language to communicate with his son. Mm. And a coin just dropped in the slot for me of how... God wants to communicate with us. Like that illustration, of, Cedric talked about the moment when it was like, I'm, I'm conversing, like we're having a back and forth. I realized, and he was talking about that with God, oh, oh, oh. And so I hear this old familiar thing just took on some new depth and meaning. That is amazing how, how there's layers to it. And, and you can read the same passage I mean, I remember very clearly, it was right at the turn of the century, in the 2000s, when I had read that Matthew passage, uh, Matthew 5, about loving your enemies, turning the other cheek, whatever. And I've read that hundreds of times, but it never, like, really occurred to me. I, all of a sudden, it was dawned on me, like, he really meant that. <laughs> um, and, and, and that, I mean, I had, without thinking about it, I mean, I never questioned the legitimacy or the, you know, of Christians being in the military or, or any of that. It's just like... Of course, it, that's normal. It, it, every country's got armies and it's supposed to be in it. But then I started reading that and, and it doesn't make any exceptions there. And it's like, how did I read that so many times? And, and it didn't hit me till now. You know, but it's, that's the spirit working through the scripture and unveiling things to us, layer upon layer. Um, you have anything that was surprising to you, Cedric? I think maybe for me, I didn't, maybe to go off of what Emily just said, I had really no clue. So you know that the scripture is always revealing, always mm -hmm. there's new new things to it. Um, how long have we been in this series? Like, two and a half years. Two and a half I'm years. Told. I literally didn't think I can get this much out of <laughs> Sermon on the Mouth. I, I thought that at one point I was like, Greg, this is great. There's so much more to preach in the Bible. <laughs> like there's some opportunities to get out of it, and your consistency in um, and the team's consistency in really focusing and mm -hmm. honing in um, just really surprised me on how much I was able to get out of some of the same passages over and over yeah. and over again. And so what that has helped me do is even in my own personal prayer time, scripture reading time not just rushing over things, That's allowing great. it to kind of, like allowing myself to be immersed in it. And when I think that I'm done, 
I'm probably not done. I probably right. can do a little bit more because yeah. there's more that I can get out of that scripture and verse. If the Apostle Paul said that he had not arrived yet, <laughs> I, I, I think it's safe to assume that none of us have quite arrived, arrived yet. We still yeah. have, have a way to go. That is true. I, I found, you know, we've been at this for two and a half years, and it's during this time, I felt led to, I've shared this before, um, back off the whole academic research writing thing and spend more time um, praying and meditating. And it, part of that includes going for walks with my dog every day for an hour, hour and a half. And the whole time, I, most of the time anyways, I'm, I'm meditating. Once in a while, I'll listen to music or podcasts, but usually I'm just like meditating on, on, on things. And one of the things, and this was the most surprising thing to me, and I never, it, it never came out in a sermon. Uh, and it's still kind of like kind of germinating in me. But it, when you preach on the Our Father, and, and you, this wasn't even a point you made, but it's something that just kind of lodged with me. The whole thing of Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And that idea of hallowed it just means set apart. Keep, it sep- keep the character of God separate from the mundane things of this world. Always make sure it's distinct. And that had got me on a, a, a track of, of just an increasing awareness of, of the otherness of God. Now, I, we know God in Jesus Christ, and we know his character. His character is, is other-oriented love. But there's also, and that's the all-important thing, to get that character down. But God's other, otherness is so... Well, it, 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 here's how I got at it. I, I, I look at my dog, and my dog is a really smart dog because I let her walk me. She makes decisions all the time, and I, I really I follow her. When we go for walks, I, I, I love to see her make decisions. There's something like free will going on there, and, 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 uh, and, and it, so she makes it very smart. But um, I, I'm about 95 million years more evolved intellectually than my dog. And so there's things that my, my dog just can't get me. She doesn't know why sometimes I have to put a leash on her, why other times I don't. She doesn't know what I'm doing when I'm reading or watching television. She doesn't have a clue. She doesn't have a clue how much I love her. Um, I, I, she has something like love for me, a warm feeling, whatever. But it, it, her capacity to know and experience love is much lower than mine. And so I'm loving on her, but I'm aware that she doesn't get how much I love her. And then I realize, okay, so I'm 95 more million years evolved than her, but... I'm 95 million years behind the angels or, or whatever. I mean, the, there's limitations on my brain, just like there's limitations on hers. And so I'm wondering, what is it that I don't get? Like, she can't understand algebra. What is the algebra that I don't get? And I just, a couple of weeks ago, I had a thing in prayer where I started laughing and crying at how ignorant I am. How we, we don't know hardly anything. We don't even know what energy is, really. Time, space, we live in this mystery, mysterious thing. And, and, and so sometimes when I'm out walking, I just like to remind myself of how odd everything is. And, and God is the one who's speaking this into existence. And we can't conceive of that. I just can't. And I just enjoy the hallowedness of the Father's name and the transcendence of God. You know, and I know a lot of people pack into God's transcendence a lot of garbage. Oh, God's so transcendent, he can will that people go to hell, and yet he's all loving, and, and, and they just make it nonsense out of it. I won't go there, because the character of God is perfectly revealed in Jesus Christ, but there's so much beautiful mystery, and, and we just get used to it. We stop noticing the wonder of everything, and the wonder of God. And the, Wherever I'm walking, I know that God's at work. You know, Jesus says the Father's always working, so God's always there, and there's always things to be learning. He's always, you know, and I... That's just something I've just kind of loved. Just in, when I'm out there, I'm just enjoying the wonder of it all. Mm. It's uh, the, the mystery of God's wonderful being.
Well, know that wherever you go, whatever you do, you're surrounded, you're pressed in on every moment by that love of God. Know that every moment God is trying to talk with us using baby language. He, he comes down to our level. He cares about everything that we care about. Just like, and I know that I, I don't have a clue as to how much he loves me any more than my dog knows how much I love her. But just accept that. It's, I'm, I'm loved with an incomprehensible love. And um, that, that reframes everything. And then out of that love, uh, let's remind ourselves that it's, God's given us this Sermon on the Mount and all of Scripture out of his love. And the bar is set remarkably high. It is. And it, it may seem impossibly high. And on our own effort, it is impossibly high. But fortunately, we're not alone. We've got each other, and we've got the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And that's the spirit of Jesus within us. And we've got that vision of where we're going to end up. Uh, it's a matter of when, not if. We will someday see him as he is, for we shall be like him. And that will be beautiful. Amen and amen. 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 Hallelujah. It's been a good run. It's been a good series. Love it. Next week, we're going to start a new series, Unraveling Truth, uh, about Christianity and truth in this postmodern age and all the murkiness that's going on right now. And so uh, we'll clarify all questions for you by next week. Hallelujah. <laughs> we have got gathering groups we encourage you to get involved in, uh, get to meet other people, discuss the message. Don't forget our newscast on Tuesdays. That's going on. Uh, we have prayer available. If, you, if there's anything that you could use prayer with, uh, you can get it online. Or if you're in a, a building here, we have our, our prayer ministers will be up front. And um, we'll see you next week. God bless you guys. Gaps. Go out and agree with God about people's unsurpassable worth. Uh, what's the A stand for? The, uh, agree, no, that's agree with God. Anyways, love God, love people, love the earth, and love yourself. Go out and love. Amen.